0: that the worship is getting to me today. You got me crying on the second song. Good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. My name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're new, we are glad you're here with us today. Uh, if you want to grab your Bibles or borrow someone's or steal a Bible next to you, whatever you want to do, Ephesians chapter 3 is where we will be today. to walk through the book of Ephesians. And as you turn there, uh, I want to bring your attention to the bulletin you may or may not have got uh, when you walked in this morning. Sometimes I know things are happening as you got kids and whatever else, and you may have missed the bulletin, but there's actually more announcements than what we said. There's a lot going on in our church. One of those things I wanted to let you know is we're starting a new class April 3rd in our Grow Classes time on Sunday mornings. And the new class is called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's a fantastic class we've done in the past, I think two or three years ago. Uh, and it's, it's uh, just a great way to learn more about how to grow in your faith and grow deeper in what it means to follow Jesus. And so uh, if you want to sign up for that or just show up, It'll be starting April 3rd in a few weeks, okay? So make sure you uh, let us know or, or come join us for that, okay? Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. Hear the reading of God's Word. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory... God. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tag our text today, Strength to Love. Strength to Love. Let's pray before we begin. Father, thank you for your word again today. Thank you that it's your word that really transforms us. That you tell us your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the core of our being. Not to hurt us or to harm us, but to heal us. And so God, we pray you would do that today. You would pierce us and do surgery on our hearts, to transform us into the people that you have designed us to be, you've called us to be. God, do it for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. amen, amen. You may be seated. Have you ever been to a spin class at a local gym? If you haven't, don't worry, there's, there's many people who haven't, and, and I actually had it years ago, and, and I've only been a couple times since, and I'll tell you why here in a moment, but, but our family at the time, we were joining this local gym, and, and we're thinking, you know, we're going to be exercising and, and getting healthy as a family, and so we joined this gym, and I start going over all the paperwork they give you that you, that you get when you join a gym, and they're talking about all the classes they have. Early morning classes, afternoon classes, night classes, all these classes, and I noticed there's a class at 5.30 a.m., 5.30 a.m., the spin class, and I'd never heard of spin class before, didn't know what that was, so I I read the little description, and basically, you have a, um, a stationary bike that you ride to music. I mean, that, that sounds fun, right? It sounds enjoyable. And so I'm like, yeah, I could do that. And I can go work out before work and, and get in the early workout at 5.30 a.m. So I show up at the local gym and, and I'm there early because I don't know where I'm going or what I'm doing and, and I'm tired and groggy because it's 5.30 in the morning. And I show up into this class, and the leader of the class, this woman who, she looked like she'd been up since four o'clock. I don't know. She was full of energy. She was excited to be there. And uh, I'm like barely awake. And she says, yeah, just hop on a bike and make sure it fits you. Like, you know, get the seat right and everything. So I do that, and I'm trying to figure it out. And then immediately the class starts, and I'm still kind of getting comfortable. But she says to the whole class, okay, start pedaling. So I'm pedaling, and it's, it's easy. I'm like, this, this is something I can do. I mean, this, I'm mean i just chilling. The music's going. It's feeling good, and my legs are starting to warm up, and then she says, all right, the warm-up's over. Turn the knob. I'm like, what are you talking about? I look down, and I look over. Everybody's turning this little knob on the, the top of the bike, and so I turn the knob. I didn't know what was going on. I, didn't, I wasn't told, and so I turn it She says, turn it again, turn it again. And it gets harder and harder. Turns out this knob is adding resistance to the pedals. And as I'm turning it, you know, level one, level two, level three, level whatever, 14, 15. I don't know how high we got. But each time it got harder and harder. And at the end of the 45-minute bike ride, I can't describe to you what I felt in my legs other than it felt like jello on fire. Like It was this strange feeling of I couldn't feel my legs, but I could feel all the pain in my legs. That was it, and I knew right at that moment I wasn't going to last. I was not in good enough shape to be in spin class. (laughs) It it started easy, but it ended exhausting. It started easy, but by the end of it, I I didn't have what it took. I mean, there's so many things like that, right? I mean, relationships are a lot like that. Some of y'all, you're in relationships right now, whether it's friends or someone else, and, and it started easy. I mean, you, you, maybe you're, you're newlyweds, and, and you're in that phase where you know, everything's easy and wonderful, and you're just googly eyes at the other person, and, and it's just fun. Everything's fun and easy, right? Right? Or, or maybe you're you, you hanging out with people that they think like you, and they, they act like you, and they vote like you, and, and so you guys kind of bond because you, you think a lot alike, and your life is similar, and so they're just easy people to get along with. Or maybe there's those people in your life that they're just always encouraging, right? They're, they're just great encouragers, and so when you're having a down day, you want to be around them because they, they encourage you and build you up, and, and you feel like, man, it's just easy to be around these people. But what do you do with people that are hard to be around? What do you do when the resistance gets turned up? When the knob gets turned and now all of a sudden it's not easy to love them, it's hard to love them. It's what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Did you hear what he said? Don't even the people who are stealing your money do that? Don't even the politicians who've been lying to you do that? They, they love the people who love them. What, what good is that to you? He's saying there, there, there's a different kind of love that the gospel calls us into. It's a kind of love that, that loves people who are difficult to love. that loves people in the middle of difficult resistance. And so we're continuing our series today in the book of Ephesians, and we're calling it On Being the Church, because this letter is is all about what it means to be the church. And the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a group of uh, of people who are struggling to be the church, trying to figure out what it means to actually be church in the world. And we were talking last week about how Paul took kind of a detour in chapter 3 because he starts to mention his suffering, and he doesn't want the people to be confused that his suffering means God wasn't working. And so he takes a little detour, and he, he talks about how God was actually working to bring about their glory through his suffering. But now Paul is saying, let me get back to what I was going to do. I was going to pray for you guys. And so he says, for this reason, because he, he was going to talk about this after chapter 2, he was going to go right into praying for the people, and what's fascinating is what he actually prays about. See, next week we're going to talk about why he prays, but this week we're going to talk about what he prays. What, what is the content? What, what does Paul pray for in this church? And what's interesting is he prays for people just like you and me, He prays for people who are struggling to love difficult people. He's praying for people who who don't know how to love someone who doesn't love them back. And so that's what I want to look at today. He's looking at this church that is made up of Jews and Gentiles that we've been talking about who for centuries have hated one another. They've excluded one another, they've been divided, they've they've despised one another. For for centuries, they've only looked across from the aisle and said, I don't want to be anything like that person, I'm glad I'm not like them. And now they're in the same church. And now they got to figure out how to love each other. Just like us. And so how do we do that? How does the gospel help us with this problem of love that we have? First, we're going to have to look at this inner strength, inner strength. If you're taking notes, that's the first point, inner strength. Look at what Paul actually prays for. We'll come back to verse 14 next week, but but look at verse 16. This is where he actually begins to pray for them. He prays, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, pause there for a moment. This whole prayer Is actually about power. Somebody say power. Power. This whole prayer is is about power. You're going to see it repeated three times in just this one prayer. He's praying for power. And the Greek word for power here is actually the word dunamis. Dunamis, and and you can probably hear it in the word. It's what gives us our English word dynamite. And so what Paul is praying for is, is this explosive power. This this sense of power that's going to do something that you couldn't do yourself. And so by praying for this, for these people in the church, right, he's implying that they don't have any power. He's implying that these are weak people who are dependent and and unsure about how am I going to move forward to, to love the way God has called me to love. I don't have that kind of power. He's praying for them to do the impossible. And listen, everyone craves power. Vladimir Putin craves power. The people at your job, your coworkers, they crave power. The little kids at your house, they crave power. The people who are sitting next to you in this room, they crave power. Right? It's something in us, in the, in the human heart, that, that we crave power. But what Paul is praying for, don't, don't get nervous here, what, what he's praying for is a specific kind of power for a specific place. Mm-hmm. Look at what he says. He says, I'm praying for power in your inner being. Yeah. Literally, it's, it's your inner person. Yeah, exactly. it, it's what Paul actually would call our soul, or, or what he refers to in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, right? So what Paul is is doing is he's not not ignoring the outer life. He's not saying this doesn't matter, right? We'll get to that in a minute. What what he's saying is, I want to prioritize your inner life. I want to prioritize your inner self and, and what's happening in you because if you're weak on the inside, you're going to be weak on the outside. You catch that? What he's saying is you've got to deal with this inner self first. You, you have to deal with this inner weakness so that you'll have this outer power. Or to put it another way, outer love requires inner strength. It requires inner strength. When there was a uh, sagging electrical line near Cleveland, Ohio on August fourteenth, two 2003, it set off this radical chain of events that ended up being the uh, largest blackout in American history. In fact, it started in Ohio, then it spread to Michigan, and then it went to Ontario, and then it went all the way over to New York. And by the end of this time period, over 50 million people were without power. 50 million people. No lights, no phones, no computers. Some of y'all are like, this sounds pretty good. No refrigerators, no air conditioning, no traffic lights. I mean, the, the, the traffic was insane. People are panicking and fleeing and trying to figure out where to go, and they couldn't go anywhere, they couldn't do anything, they were stuck. In fact, there were reports of people stuck in elevators for hours. People stuck in the middle of a roller coaster for hours. Panic. And every single person, for three days, there was no power. Every single person was thinking the same thing. We need power. We need power, right? This is what I'm saying, that love, when you enter into a relationship where it's difficult and someone doesn't give back the way you were hoping they would give back, you immediately become aware of your lack of power. You immediately are aware, when, when, especially when you're loving somebody who, who's not giving back what you were hoping they would give back, you, you immediately become aware that I don't have what it takes. Listen, it could be all kinds of folks in your life. It could be your spouse who keeps pointing out all your shortcomings and failures and you, know, you just can't seem to ever live up to their standard. You can't ever seem to meet their expectation for the relationship, and so it's just constantly draining you, constantly on your back. It could be somebody who has strong political opinions that differ from you, and every single conversation becomes some kind of conflict, some kind of judgment about their worthiness because of their political affiliation. It could be a friend who you trusted so dearly and and they betrayed you. And you're not sure, can can I really trust them? Can I forgive them? Can can we move past this? I don't know. I don't know if I've got the ability to do that. It could be somebody who's culturally different than you. They bring out in you your implicit bias that you didn't even know was there. And so for you to be around them makes makes you feel uncomfortable because you're, you're not really ready to deal with that yet. Like, God, I don't, I don't know if I have the strength to deal with that problem. It could be all kinds of things. But the moment you step in to love someone who's difficult, you immediately realize I don't have the power. I don't have the strength. And what's, what's difficult for us is, is usually our default mode is, is to treat that person like that person is going to give me what I need. Right? We're, we're hoping that, that if, if I pour out myself in love and, and care and I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to serve you and I'm going to do whatever I need to do to, to be a person of love towards you, I'm hoping that you will return the favor and fill me back up. Sounds fair, right? Sounds, sounds good. And maybe you have those people in your life who, who you give and, and they return, but, but what do you do when they don't? What, what do you do when, when you give everything you have and, and they don't give back to you and, and what's going to happen is if you're having that expectation that that person's going to do that for you, eventually you'll end up empty. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually there'll be a blackout. And this is why so many of us burn out in so many different areas of life. It could be your marriage, it could be your job, it could be a friendship, it could be ministry, it could be whatever... God has called you into to love someone who isn't returning the favor, and you realize, I am not getting what I need. But listen, that person, even if it is somebody who loves you back, that person will never fill you completely. That that person, whoever that person is, is not designed to meet that need. Right? What, what we're thinking is, if, if I can just get something back from them, then I'll be full. But, but let me be very clear with you. Your spouse will not fill you. That's not Neither will your boss or your neighbor or, or your coworker or anybody in your life. No one in your life will fill you except God. Amen. God Himself. God Himself. We, we need an infinite power For our inner being is what Paul is saying. I I need somebody that, that can fill me up beyond what I'm even capable of getting from anyone else in my life so that I have an abundance to give away. And so the question Paul is calling us to ask is, are we cultivating that kind of inner life where God is filling us? Where God is filling you so that you're able to give. It's this call to say, am I with God? Am I seeking him in the scriptures? Am I I pouring into my soul? Am I caring for myself in such a way that that I have what I need in me to love the people around me? It requires this kind of inner strength. and, And this kind of inner strength will eventually become this outer love, which is where Paul goes next. This is the second point, outer love. Look at verse 17. Look at what he says. I love this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, pause there for a second. Why in the world would, would Paul pray that Christ would dwell in their hearts? I mean, he, he's writing this to the church. Right? Didn't, didn't we say, like, if you believe in Jesus with all your heart, he will come take residence in you, and, and now you have God living inside of you? What, what in the world is he talking about? These are Christians. Well, what Paul is talking about, and it's in this word dwell, it's not, it's not the usual word for dwell. It's, it's a word that means to, to make your, your permanent residence. So in other words, what Paul is talking about is, is not like God would come and kind of stop by for a moment. Say hi, you know, give you a hug, and maybe maybe drop off some cookies and then move on to his next place. He, he's saying, I, I am praying that that God in, in Christ would, would come dwell in you and and take up residence as as his permanent residence, that you would know he's there, and, and when you show, or when he shows up, he he's going to, to change things. Right? In other words, what he's saying is that you would have this, this personal real experience of God's love in Jesus that isn't just this objective thing that you know about and you believe, but, but you're really experiencing it now. It, it's a present tense thing in your life. In other words, so, someone has said it, it's the difference between tasting honey and talking about honey, right? When, when you talk about honey, it, it's, it's really like you know these impersonal sounds that, that might sound cool, but it's, it's not really connecting with you. But, but when you taste honey, there's this very personal, incredible sweetness that you can sense. Paul is saying it's, it's this real uh, present tense experience of Jesus. This is what's going to transform us. And he uses these great analogies, these great metaphors. He says, you're going to be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded, right? He uses these metaphors of, uh, of agriculture and, and architecture. He's saying that that love is going to be like the soil that your whole life kind of gets rooted down in and and it's growing out of it and it's flourishing because this love is giving you life. And he's saying this love is going to be like a foundation that your whole life is going to be built on. And and because it's such a solid foundation, you're going to build this incredible structure because you're rooted and grounded in love. In other words, what he's saying is it's going to change you. When Jesus shows up in your life, when He comes to make His dwelling in you, it's not going to be just to stop by. He's going to unpack His suitcase, He's going to put His stuff in your house, and He's going to rearrange what you thought was the way it should be, and He's going to change the whole place. Because whoever the Spirit is working on inwardly, it's going to change us deeply see this inward strength it it becomes outward love it becomes something different in world war ii uh, there was an officer by the name of robert key in the british army and he died when a grenade that he was holding exploded in his hand and it was it was a difficult situation because what was uh reported to his family was that the cause of his death was basically foolishness They actually wrote that on his official documentation, that his cause of death was foolishness because it was reported to them as the family that he was goofing off, basically. He was messing around with a grenade, and and because he was goofing off, it it exploded and it killed him. And so for many years, 65 years, his family was so ashamed of of their relative's death that they decided they weren't even going to mention his name. They were so ashamed of his death that, that they weren't going to talk about it among themselves. They, they weren't going to do any of that, and it, it became this, this scar for their family. Until one day, the mayor of that town in which he died called the family, traced him down, tried to find out where he was, or where he was from, and, and they found somebody in the family, and then and, and the mayor said, uh, we want to contact the family to let you know we're actually dedicating a road to your family member, Robert and that they were confused. Like, why in the world would you dedicate a road to this man? He, he had this shameful death. They, they were so confused. And, and the guy on the phone, the mayor, he said, well, clearly you have gotten some false information. That's not what happened. Let me fill you in on the story. Here's what really happened. Your robber, he, he was there with these 20 children who had found a grenade while they were playing at the playground, and they were They were messing around with the grenade and one of the kids, the little boy, he pulled the pin on the grenade and Robert ran over there as quick as he could. He grabbed the grenade and he told the kids to run and he held the grenade close to his chest until it exploded. And he sacrificed his life for all the kids at the playground. He's been a hero in our town for 65 years. And as as he explained that to this person on the phone... The man broke down, it was his nephew, decades later, he broke down and as they were interviewing him about this experience, he said, this news changes everything for our family. It's completely different than anything we had ever known, now that we know the truth. Listen, the truth will change you. The truth will, will transform you it will never leave you the same. But if you're caught believing a lie, it will, it will treat you and, and form you in a way that, that is not true. But, but if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And what Paul is saying, what he's praying for in these people is the only chance that we have of loving people who are hard to love is knowing that we're loved. He's saying you you have to know, not not just the facts of God's love, not not just the information and and all the theology and whatever Bible verses you remember. It's not just that. You you have to experience it for yourself. You you have to know deep down in your soul that this is true, that this is what God has done for me, right? Because there, there are people in this room, there's people in your life that I guarantee you, you've been in church long enough. You know the answers, You know the information. You know that this is what I should do, and this is how I should act, and and this is the way I was raised, and these are my values. But have you ever experienced Jesus for yourself? Has has His love come to dwell in your heart? Has He taken up residence in you in such a way that, that it really transforms you? It changes you from this is who I was to this is who I am and who I'm becoming. I'm completely different. Because the love of God in us, listen, it will become the love of God from us. It's going to change you. If the truth is dwelling in you, it's going to change you. It'll become love for those who have hurt us deeply in the past. It'll become love for those who don't understand or agree with us. It'll become love for those who refuse to love us back. It'll become love for those who've wronged us and and we've wronged beyond imagination. Listen, I'm not saying it's, it's going to be all roses and chocolate. I'm not saying it's going to restore every relationship and bring reconciliation. But what I am saying and what Paul is saying is that if the love of God is dwelling deeply in you, it will become love for other people. It will become love because... That's how the gospel works. That's how God works in us. This this is what he says in 1 John 4. He says, we love because he first loved us. What it's saying is when God's love is poured out on you, it, it will change you to be a loving person. But not just for people who love you, but the people who don't love you. See, even our enemies, even our enemies are changed by the love of God. Think about that. This is what Jesus means when he says, To love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Why in the world would Jesus say that? Because Jesus knows that the only way your enemies ever change is God's love. It's His kindness that leads us to repentance, right? Right? It's His grace that moves us towards Him. Here's a radical idea When was the last time you prayed? for your enemies to know God's love? When was the last time you you prayed for the person whom you despise, that they would know God's love? When was the last time you prayed for your ex-husband, your ex-wife, that they would know God's love? When was the last time you prayed for your boss who mistreated you and fired you that that they would know God's love? Right? Think about that. This is what Paul is saying. He's praying for these people who hate one another, who've been divided against one another. He's praying that God's love would transform their hearts because that's the only thing that does. But when it does, here's what he says, You, you find the fullness of God. And this is the last point, and I'll close out. The fullness of God. Look at verse 18. Look at what he says. This is what he keeps praying. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I mean, here again, he prays for power. Somebody say power. He's praying for power again, but but this time he's praying for a different place for our power. He's not praying for power in our inner being this time. This time he's praying up in our minds that, that we would comprehend the love of Christ. I love it because Paul starts grasping for words now. He, he's, he's just struggling. I, I don't know how to describe this. And so he, he, starts to, he starts to give these measurements, right? He's trying to describe the indescribable. And so he gives width and length and height and depth. And, and the width illustrates his accepting love. And, and length illustrates his lasting love. And height illustrates his exalting love. And depth illustrates his sacrificial love. In other words, what what Paul is saying is as he looks at the love of God, in every direction he looks, in all these places, all he sees is love. He sees love. And ultimately, as Paul is grasping for words to describe it, he basically just gives up. He basically just says, I'm going to pray that you would know that which surpasses knowledge. I'm going to pray that God would do the impossible. He would help you know what you can't actually know, but I'm going to pray it anyways. I'm going to pray that, that He would do something in you that, that no one's ever seen, that, that you would know that what no one's ever known. And here's what it is. He's praying for fullness because they're empty. They're empty trying to pour themselves out for people who don't care. They're empty trying to love through all the conflict and all the pain and all the disappointment. They're empty because they're trying to reach across these barriers that have lasted for decades and centuries. And and they're empty. And Paul prays for them and for us that despite their emptiness, God would make them full. He would make them full with himself. The fullness of God is found in the love of Jesus. Jesus. It's found in the love of Jesus. The deepest part of the ocean known to us is called the Challenger Deep. Get this, if you could could take Mount Everest and just pick it up and move it into the Challenger Deep, it would still be over a mile below the water surface. I mean, it's, it's over seven miles deep. It's in the Pacific Ocean right off the coast of East Asia. It it is incredible. There's only been a few people who've actually had the chance to plunge to the depths of the Challenger Deep. The first one was in 1960. I don't even know who that guy was, but he was crazy in 1960 to try to get to the bottom of this thing. And for decades, no one even tried after him. But now recently, uh, in 2019, there was another guy who tried, this explorer by the name of Victor Vescovo, And he became only the fourth person to go to the bottom. And after plunging nearly 11,000 meters to the bottom, he sees what very few people have ever seen. And they were interviewing him about it recently in an article. And this is what he says. He says, honestly, the first feeling was relief. Probably because, you know, you could die. I mean, he's just relieved he made it. And then he said, I could now explore the bottom for hours. But the next feeling was wonder and curiosity. curiosity. I had the very bottom of the ocean all to myself. I was like a 10-year-old on their first bicycle in an unknown town. Right, What he's describing is just this sense of, I've never seen this before. I've never been a part of this before. This is beyond anything I could imagine. And what makes him even more unique, this man, is that he was the first person to actually... Do that and something else. See, in 2010, he climbed Mount Everest. So, this man, Victor uh, Vescovo, he, he was the first person to ever get to the highest point on earth and the lowest point on earth. He, he was the first person to ever get to the heights and the depths. And so, in a sense, he he has seen what very few, if anyone else, has ever seen. He, he's been to the top and he's been to the bottom. But what Paul is saying is that even if you could do that, you could never search the unsearchable riches of God's love in Jesus. What he's saying is, is this has no bottom. That, that this has no height. Well, what, he, what he's saying is the love of God in Christ is its an ocean with no bottom. It, it's a mountain with no peak. It, it's a place that you can never reach the bottom. You can never reach the top because there is none. It's, it's immeasurable. It's beyond your comprehension. The only thing in all the universe that's as immeasurable as God's love is God himself. And so to be filled with his fullness is to be filled forever. Because there's enough love in God to to last for every sin you'll ever commit. There's enough love in God to last for every suffering you ever go through. There's enough love in God to last for all eternity, for all his people, forever. He never runs out. And his love, his, his greatest display of this immeasurable love was the cross. Because it was on the cross that God was proving his love has no end, even to the end of his own life. See, as Jesus hung on the cross with His arms stretched wide, He was showing us this love. Is This is how wide it is to include anyone who comes to Him. And as Jesus endured from the beginning all the way to the end, He was showing His love was long enough to last for all eternity. And as Jesus went down even to the grave, He was showing His love is deep enough to reach the deepest of sinners like us. Yeah. And as Jesus got up on the third day with all power in his hands, he was showing his love is high enough yeah. to reach us from any darkness and any death itself. Yeah. See, what he's saying is the width and the length, the height and the depth, this is his love. His love is immeasurable, but, but he still invites us in to enjoy that love. Yeah. He's saying even though you're not able to contain the fullness, he still wants you to come and, and be filled to come and be filled to the full, that you overflow because we can experience it for ourselves. We can come and taste this love of God that the Lord is good. We can come bringing nothing, empty and tired and worn out, confused, angry. He says, I want, I want you to come. I want you to come because he never runs dry. See, we'll never reach the bottom of his love, but, but his love will reach us at our bottom. We'll never reach the heights of his love, but his love will always reach us when we fall from the greatest distance. He'll reach us. And he simply invites us. He says, come. This is for you to be filled. Do you need to be filled with his love this morning? Because as he's inviting us in to, to do this work of loving people who are difficult to love, people just like you and me, he's saying the only way you can do that is if you're filled with God himself. Filled to overflowing. And the way the Bible tells us to do that is is through what he calls repentance and faith. Repentance simply means to turn, right? Simply to turn away from something. And in this case, it's it's turning away from our desire to be filled with our own power, our own strength, or or to live off of someone else in our life that can fill us up. It's saying, God, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to turn from that, and I want to turn in faith to you. And I want to trust you, that you can fill me, that you have the power and the strength that I need. I'm going to trust you for all my life that you've called me to. That's what it means to put our faith in him. We turn from ourselves and turn to our Savior. And when we do that, Jesus says, I'll fill you. I'll fill you to full. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we turn to you now turning away from all the other things in our life. All the people that we've expected too much from. All the people that that have expected too much from us. All the people that that we've run dry trying to love because it's beyond us. And and God, you don't let us off the hook to keep loving. You don't tell us, just give up and find someone easier. You say, I'll fill you. I'll fill you with all that you need, and I'll never run out. And so, God, we come to you asking that you would do that, believing that you are who you say you are, the immeasurable, incredible God. We ask that you would do it for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.